Oh, what, a gr- what a great tune that last one is, All Our Hope Is In You, All Our Hope Is In You. Not most of our hope or part of our hope is in Jesus, but all of our hope is in Jesus, right? Because he's the only hope in the world at all. And I love that that song doesn't say he's a rescue for sinners. He's a ransom from heaven. He is the rescue for sinners. He is the only one that can rescue. And we are all in need of rescue, right? In our sin, we are in grave danger, eternal danger, and only Jesus is the strong one who can come in and deliver us, rescue us, save us, forgive us, and give us eternal life. It's good news. It's worth singing about, right? Do you have your Bibles this morning? Good. Joshua chapter 1 is where you need to go. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there should be one in the pew right in front of you. Grab it. Take it out. If you don't have one at all, keep it. Keep that one and and make it yours. Uh, We want you to have the Word of God uh, in your lap, in your hand as we preach. We want you to hear uh, from Him today, not not from me uh, by any means. We want you to hear from Him. Last week, we began in Joshua chapter 1. We noticed some really interesting things that happen as the transition is made from Moses, who has been leading the people. He's led them out of Egypt. Egypt. He's led them as they've wandered in the wilderness. But the transition happens when Moses dies, someone's got to take over. And that person, anointed by God, uh, chosen by God, is Joshua. And we watch as this transition happens. And and I told you that that one of the things that we learn from that in the church today is that leadership and people are always changing. People come and go. Leaders come and go. Styles change. Sounds change. All kinds of things change. But The purpose of God never does. The story of the Exodus, the story of the people of God doesn't end when Moses dies. It continues on with a new leader, with a new chapter, with a new new vision, but the same purpose. And I told you that we would be wise to focus our attention, our affection, our energy on the purpose of God, which never changes, rather than the people of God, which often do. The purpose of God for us is to preach the gospel to the nations, right? The purpose of, of God for the church is that he would grow it, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, right? We, we, we're on the winning side of this thing, and we need to focus our attention on that and not so much on the people that are always changing. We also talked about this great promise that God gives to Joshua. He says, Joshua, just like I was with Moses, which was a total game changer, right? Changed everything for Moses. He says, in the same way that I was with Moses, I will be with you. And so he says, be bold, be courageous, be confident, be strong. And I told you that that, that changed the game for Joshua. And I want you to realize that God has made the same promise to us. That he has said, just like I was with Moses, just like I was with Joshua, just like I was with David, I'm with you. Jesus tells us that, right? In the New Testament, he tells us that. When he comes in, in Matthew's gospel, he's referred to as Emmanuel, who is God with us. And at the end, after he gives us the commission, uh, gives us our purpose for life, he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. In Acts, at the beginning of Acts, we see him with us, right? God is with us, and that changes everything. Uh, flip over. No, don't flip over there. I'll do it. Read, I'll read to you in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Listen to this. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is with us. God is with us, and there's nothing that can change that. If we know Him, He is with us. And man, we are overwhelmingly conquerors because of that. God told Joshua, I will be with you. God has told us, I will be with you. And then we saw, as, as God continues to encourage Joshua, he says, your strength, this strength for daily living will come from the word. He says, pay attention to it, read it, know it, memorize it, meditate on it, talk about it, and most of all, obey it. Obey it. We, if we want to live faithful Christian lives, have to spend time in God's word. It's how he speaks to us. We want God to speak to us, right? We want a word from the Lord, don't we? You've got it. You've got it right here in your hand. You've got it, a word from the Lord. Every day, open it up and read it. How many of you spent some time in the Word this week? Good, good, get in it. Eat it up. There's so much neat stuff going on here. And, and so much of it, uh, you would think, oh, they could never tie together. Oh, we never learn a lesson from Joshua and 2 Kings and Luke all at the same time. And then you read and you do. It's, it's like one guy wrote it all, right? Kind of that's the way it happened, right? God kind of wrote it all, right? Okay, good, good. This week we're going to see Joshua kind of get to work. We've seen God encourage him. We've seen God meet with him. We've seen God say, hey, this is what you're going to do. And what I love about the rest of chapter 1 is that Joshua does it. And you're going to see some really interesting themes here in the next couple of verses that are really going to play out for the rest of the book. And so I want you to pay attention to ideas uh, like unity. Uh, ideas like unity, when you see the people of God come together in agreement and in, 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 in unity. Second thing you're going to see is encouragement. You're going to see that God encourages Joshua. Joshua encourages the people, and then the people turn around and encourage Joshua. One of the, one of the elements of the people of God, especially in the church, needs to be uh, encouragement. That we need to be lifting each other up, pushing each other forward, encouraging each other every day when we get together. And the third thing that you're going to see, which is a really interesting gospel theme throughout Joshua is the concept of rest. You're going to see Joshua talk about rest a couple of times when he talks to the people. And what you and I need to do is to be able to leap forward and not talk about rest in the sense of the promised land, but we need to look for the rest that is ours in Christ. When Joshua talks about rest, we need to hear the rest that Jesus provides, where we cease from our own strivings and we simply trust in his work. And so we as believers experience the rest now in that we rest in his work and we are looking forward to the rest that we will experience in eternity, right? Uh, you, need to, you need to get this a little bit. This is a big deal. When Joshua talks about rest, that's the gospel. That's the gospel in Joshua. Check it out in chapter 1, starting in verse 10. It says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan, to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, to possess it. To the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But you shall cross over before your brothers in battle array, all your valiant warriors, and shall help them, until the Lord gives your brothers rest, as he gives you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. They answered Joshua, saying, 
All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, for, for this day, for this gathering of your people um, in, in your presence. God, I pray that, that we truly will see you today and that we truly will hear from you and, and truly will be changed. God, forgive us when, when we come to a setting like this only for social purposes. Um, forgive us when we come into a setting like this only for selfish purposes. God, forgive us when we've come into here for any other reason but to meet with you, to celebrate you, and to give you glory. God, you alone are worthy of our attention. You alone are worthy of our affection. Pray that you change us today. Teach us. Grow us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, so in verse 10, the first thing that you'll see is that Joshua gets right to work. He, he doesn't spend a lot of time just kind of basking in the glory of this moment. He, he has met with God, right? God has come. God has spoken to him. God has said, I am with you just like I was with Moses. Go, take the people across the Jordan. Go, possess the land. I'm going to take care of all of the enemies that you will face. Go and do it. I don't know about you, but when, when I have a, a close encounter with God like that, sometimes I just want to stop right there and stay right there. But what I want you to see is that's never the intention. That when God meets with people, it, he always meets with them to change their lives, to give them purpose, and to put them to work. I was reading uh, this week in kind of the read through the Bible deal in a year. I'm in Luke's gospel, and uh, I was reading about the scene of the transfiguration. You, you remember that when Jesus kind of takes, takes some of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, up the mountain, and then he is transfigured, and they get to see a little bit of his glory. They get to see uh, him shining in his glory, and, and Moses is there, and Elijah is there, and there's this great scene. You remember what Peter says when all that happens? Peter says, this is good. This is good. Let's, let's set up some tents and stay here. This, I like this. I like this seeing God's glory. I like the display of his majesty. I think I will stay here on this mountain and enjoy it. And you remember what Jesus does? He rebukes him for that. That's not the plan. The, not, the plan is not to just stay up on this mountain and enjoy God's glory. Peter has a mission, right? Peter has work to do. And Jesus sends him down from that mountain with work to do. And he rebukes him. I think many of us are just like Peter. I think many of us tend to, when we get a glimpse of God, when we have an encounter with God, we want to stay right there. And what I want you to hear is that there's always work to be done. There's always a mission to be accomplished. There's always something to do once we meet with him. We've talked over the last few months about purpose here at First Baptist Church. We've talked about process here at First Baptist Church. We've talked about encountering God, right? We've talked about embedding in a small group, getting plugged in with other people. We've talked about being equipped, getting the tools that it takes to do what God has called us to do. And then that last step is to engage. And what I love about Joshua in this text is he engages. He doesn't just stay there, buddy-buddy with God, and just enjoy it and bask in it. He does that, and then he goes to work. He does what God has told him to do. And I think there are a lot of us here at First Baptist Church that need to. We've, we've had an encounter 
encounter with God. We've met with Him. We've heard from Him. We've been equipped by Him. But we are stalled out when it comes to actually doing something. We like to just hang out in God's presence, but we don't ever like to go out on a limb and work for Him. We don't want to go to a foreign country. We don't want to talk to our neighbor. We don't want to serve the poor and needy. What I'm saying is we need to do that. That's why he has met with us. That's why he has changed our lives is to put us to work, to give us a mission, to show us what to do. And we've got to do it. Joshua does it quickly. It says in verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people. You need to know that those guys are like the secondary uh, leaders of the people. Joshua is clearly at the top. And these guys are kind of the secondary leaders. And Joshua gets all of them together and uses this system that Moses has put into place. Moses has kind of already prepared the way and developed this system of quick communication, quick order, uh, quick structure. And so Joshua is going to use that. He gets the commanders, uh, he gets the officers together and he tells them, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan, to go in, to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, to possess it. When I I read this verse, I see Joshua uh, with half of his face painted blue, with a big sword, like a two-hander sword on his back, and he's riding a horse, and he says, you know what I'm talking about now? Nobody knows, you've never seen Braveheart? This is what's going on. He says, listen, guys, tell the people three days from now we're going across that river. Three days from now we're going into the land to possess what God is giving us. Get your food ready. That's weird, right? I would expect Joshua, knowing that there are strong, difficult battles on the other side of that Jordan, I would expect Joshua to say, guys, you got three days, sharpen your swords. Guys, you got three days, make some extra arrows. Guys, you've got three days, do some target practice and get ready. But that's not what he says. Notice in the text he says, get some provisions together. Get some food together. Talk about some confidence, right? Talk about some confidence in the fact that God is the one who's going to fight this battle, right? He says, what you need to get together when we go across the Jordan is some food because God is going to take care of all of the rest. But notice that even as as Joshua trusts God for this amazing miracle of victory, he doesn't neglect the daily needs. He, He doesn't get his head kind of so far up in the clouds that he forgets that, oh, we also need food. He, he, is, he is mindful of all of those things. And so at the same time, we see this amazing trust in God and this, in this kind of other foot in reality that we also have to have food as we go forward from here. Notice the second thing. Not only does he say, don't get weapons, get food. He, he speaks with such confidence. He says, for within three days, you're to cross this Jordan. Go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. There's this paradox, again, that we talked about last week that that clearly Joshua knows that it is God who is giving them the land. It is God who is providing the land. It's God who's going to fight for them. But they have to go across the river. They have to go in and possess it. Notice that he says, possess it. God is giving it to you. Possess it. He kind of sandwiches the gift of God between two commands to go in and possess the land. Um, This is is the confidence with which they move forward, knowing that it is God who is providing for them. In verse 12, uh, we could easily get lost. In verse 12, he's referencing something that happened back in Numbers chapter 32. You, you can go there and read it, and I would encourage you to sometime. It's a really neat story. I will give you my version of it. My version that sounds like a movie a little bit um, goes like this. The children of Israel, they're, they're out of Egypt. They're making their way around the desert. They're wandering a little bit. They're getting close 
They're getting close to the promised land, and they come across a certain portion of the land that they are able to occupy. They defeat some armies that are there, and there are two and a half tribes that look at this place and they say, this is good for cows. This land that we're in right now is really good for cows, and we've got a lot of cows, okay? And so they go to Moses, and they say, Moses, we've got a proposition for you. Here's the deal. We've got a lot of cows, and this land is good for cows, and we know that it's not on the other side of the Jordan. We know that it's not, quote, the promised land, but we want you to give us our inheritance. We want you to give us our portion of the land here. We want to settle here because it's good for cows, and you guys can go on in and possess the promised land. And you know what Moses says? Moses absolutely freaks out. He absolutely freaks out and he says, what are you, are, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We're going to go into battle. We're going to go across the Jordan River into battle. And, and, and you remember there are giants on the other side? That was a real deal. When the spy said that, that was really happening. He says, you mean to tell me you want to stay on this side of the Jordan and let the rest of us go across and fight these battles while you just sit here? That's what it says in the text in Numbers chapter 32. While you just sit here. He says, no way this is going to happen. No way you're just going to enjoy this and we're going to go. And then he gets really fired up and he says, this is, this is just like... This is just like when the spies went over into the land and came back and ten of them said, oh, we can't go there. And only two of them said, it's okay. It's okay, we'll go and God will fight for us. He says, just like that. And you remember that that day, that day was the day God said in his anger, this generation won't see the promised land. This generation won't see it except for who? Joshua and Caleb. Remember that? Moses is fired up when they ask for this portion of the land there. And he says, absolutely not. You're not going to leave us so that we can go fight and die. This is just like when that took place. And they all say, wait a minute, Moses, calm down. Calm down, Moses. Chill out a little bit. You didn't let us finish. Moses flies off the handle. They didn't even get finished. What they were going to say was, we plan to go with you and fight. In fact, not only will we go with you, we will be the tip of the spear, so to speak. We will be the the soldiers that go in first, that encounter the fiercest opposition. We will do that. We'll let our family, our children, we'll let them stay here, and we will go and fight. And not until you possess the land that God is giving you on that side of the Jordan will we come back and enjoy the land that God is giving us here. You know what Moses says? Okay. Okay. He kind of takes a deep breath and he says... Okay, that's the way it goes in Numbers chapter 32. And that's what's going on in Joshua chapter 1. When Joshua references these Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, these are the guys that Moses gave land to that, wasn't, that was on the other side of the Jordan. It was on the west side of the Jordan. Does that make sense? They would be referred to as the Transjordanian tribes in your theology books. Um, so... Joshua talks to them and he says, most importantly, verse 13, remember. That that is the most important word that he says to these guys. He says, remember. Remember what happened back there when you asked for this land? Remember the commitment that you made to God, to Moses, to the people? Remember. He says, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God gives you rest and will give you rest this land. He's talking about the land that they were in that was good for cows. He says, Moses told you that God will give you rest. He's going to provide you rest here in this land. He's going to give you this place that's good for cows and you will be able to rest. But your brothers aren't ready to rest yet. 
Look in verse 14, it says, Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but you shall cross before your brothers in battle array all your valiant warriors and shall help them. That was the condition. That was the condition that, that Moses gave to these two and a half tribes, that if they are going to stay there, they have to help their brothers. When they go into battle, they have to help. You have to help your brothers until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he gives you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. You see what's going on there? You get it? Are you awake? What's going on here is that, that Joshua is reminding them, saying, you've got rest already. Your brothers don't have rest. Go with them, help them get that same kind of rest, and then you come back and enjoy what God has given you. You can't just leave them out. You can't just leave them to fend for themselves. We've got to be in this together. Remember, one of the lessons for today is a lesson about unity. They can't separate. They can't go their separate ways. They've got to stick together. All throughout Joshua, you will see all Israel, all Israel, all Israel. They are in this together and must fight together if they expect to win. Notice what happens next. It says, after God gives them that land, then, at the end of verse 15, then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Once it's all settled, then you can go back home. And verse 16 may be my favorite part of the whole thing. Because, because the people respond with this outrageous obedience. These are probably the people of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They answer Joshua and say, All that you have commanded us, we will do. Yes! That's what you want if you're Joshua, right? If you're Joshua, if you're the one in charge, the one leading the way, and you say, hey, you got to go fight, and the people respond by saying, hey, anything you say, we'll do it. That's, that's good. That's a good day in the life of a leader. They say, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. It just keeps getting better, doesn't it? Listen to these guys. Wherever you send us, we will go. And then they say, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Whoo! You think Joshua's encouraged at this point? These people that he's leading, these people that he was worried about who kind of already have their inheritance and might not fight very hard, they give him this blank check of whatever you say, whatever you say, Joshua, we'll do it. We are with you. We are all in. In fact, they go so far in verse 18 as to say, and if anybody's not, we'll kill them. That's what I'm talking about. That's, that's the kind of leader, that's the kind of followers that get things done. It says, anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey all your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. We're in. Is it clear? They're in. And that's encouraging to Joshua. Uh, also in verse 17 it says, only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. I read a lot about this and there are some commentators that say this is a little bit of a threat. That this is kind of a, a little bit of a a caution that these people are giving to Joshua. They're saying, yeah, wherever, whenever, whatever, we'll do it as long, as long as you follow God like Moses followed God. And so they 
Some, some guys would say they're trying to hold that over Joshua's head. I don't think that's what's going on here at all. I think they are encouraging Joshua, even with that statement, to say, hey, we're in, we're in, and our prayer is that God will be with you truly, just like he was with Moses. You are the man at this point. You are the one that we are following, and we are with you. And then at the end, they say, only be strong and courageous. They say to Joshua, only be strong and courageous. Has Joshua heard that before? From who? God said it to him, right? And now the people that are following him say it. Joshua is pumped at the end of this chapter, and you would be too if you were the leader of the people. They have said, we will do whatever you say, and if anybody doesn't, we will kill them. And then they say, hey, just like God said to you, we're saying to you, be strong and courageous. We will follow you. This is a really good day. Great things are about to happen as they cross over that Jordan, right? This is good. This is a happy day. Three applications today and then we're done. Number one has to do with unity. Unity is an important theme of this section of Scripture. We see it in the communication, right? As, as Joshua calls the, the leaders together, the officers, the officials, the, the second-rank leaders, he calls them together and we see unity as the information flows down. We see unity in the two-and-a-half tribes. It seems like there was this splinter group that was going to go off and do their own thing, but what we see very clearly in this text is that they come back together and they are going to fight together. We see unity as the people encourage Joshua. We see unity as they say, hey, listen, if anybody steps out of line, we'll kill them for you. Unity! It's what we need, right? And that's not just what we need in Joshua. It's what we need now, here at First Baptist Church, right? Unity is not some luxury that we can afford to have or not have. We must have unity. And by unity, I'm not talking about where, where we grumble behind the scenes and, and when we're together, we kind of act like we get along. No, I'm talking about unity that is true peace, that is focused so much on Jesus that that's all we care about, right? We don't get wrapped up in personalities. We don't get wrapped up in personal conflicts. We focus on Jesus. We we focus on the Great Commission. We focus on the mission that he has given to us, and all of the rest of it falls by the wayside. We see that in Acts, in Acts chapter 2. Look at it. Turn over there. Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church, as the people of God begin to grow and work and proclaim the gospel. One of the marks of the early church was their unity. They were together all the time. Chapter 2, starting in verse 43, says... This is after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come down, indwelled them. Great things are going on. It says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Unity is key. Unity is key for health. Unity is key for growth. Unity is key for the glory of God here at First Baptist Church. And what I'm saying is we need to strive toward unity. We need to look for unity. We need to put down disunity. We need to put down disharmony and come together. Does that make sense? We need it. It is a necessity. It is not a luxury. Unity is absolutely a necessity. Second thing that you'll see in this passage of Joshua is an emphasis on encouragement. 
Encouragement because God had given the land to the people. Encouragement because they would possess it. Encouragement when the people of the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh say, we will do it. We are in. We will follow you. Encouragement when they say to Joshua, we will kill anyone who doesn't. Encouragement when they say to Joshua, be strong and courageous. You know what happens here in this text? What happens is, At the beginning of chapter 1, God meets with Joshua, and God encourages Joshua. At the end of chapter 1, Joshua encourages the people. And at the very end of chapter 1, the people then turn around and encourage Joshua. That's a beautiful thing, is it not? It's a beautiful thing when there is encouragement first from God to the people, and then from the people to each other. And that's the way it should look here at First Baptist. That's the way it should look here in this church, is that we receive encouragement from God, and then we encourage others. There is so much that goes on in our lives that is a discouragement. So much discouragement, just absolutely all over the place. And we are called to be an encouragement to each other. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to go there because we'll look at another text in Hebrews in a minute. Hebrews chapter 10. What is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, talking about the importance of encouragement. I read one commentator that said, The first step in obtaining our inheritance is to let God encourage us, then get busy encouraging others. Look what it says in chapter 10, verse 19. And listen for the encouragement that God gives to us and the encouragement that we are to give to each other. It says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The encouragement that you get from God in this passage is that Jesus is our great high priest, right? That he is, a, he is, he is the way, he has made a way for us to come with confidence before the throne of God, Right? That's encouraging. And then he says, you live out that encouragement by encouraging other people. Get together, encourage one another daily. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That should be the motivation in our conversations. That should be the undercurrent of everything that we do. How can I encourage this guy or this gal to love and good deeds? The reality is a lot of times our... Our undercurrent, our motivation is, how can I hurt this guy? How can I take this guy down? Or, how can I make myself great? How can I lift myself up in this situation? We should always be thinking about each other, how we can encourage one another, push one another toward love and good deeds. First Baptist Church truly should be an environment for encouragement. Number one, we must have unity. It's not a luxury. Number two, there should be encouragement dripping off of everything that we do. And number three... There is rest for us. Twice 
Twice in Joshua chapter 1, he mentions rest. He says that the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have already tasted a little bit of rest. And now they've got to go and fight so that the rest of the tribes can experience rest. One commentator defined rest this way. He said, rest equals to finally settle in peace and security, to be, this is beautiful, to be serenely at home. Peace means to settle in, rest means to settle in peace and security, to be serenely at home after years of migration, struggle, and war. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that kind of peace, that kind of rest, that kind of being serenely at home after years of migration and struggle and war? That sounds a lot like the gospel to me, doesn't it you? Sounds a lot like eternal life to me, does it to you? Yeah, that Jesus is the rest that we've been looking for. In fact, the author of Hebrews talks about this in chapter 4. Turn back there. This is beautiful. Chapter 4. I don't even know where to start with this. So good. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's start in verse 8. Just to say that Joshua, the rest that Joshua is talking about in context back in Joshua is not the ultimate rest that we're looking for. The author of Hebrews says he's, even Joshua is looking for something more. Look what he says in chapter 4 of Hebrews verse 8. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, which, which he did on a small scale, but not ultimately. The author of Hebrews is thinking about ultimate rest here. He's thinking about gospel rest. It says, for if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare of the eyes to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You catch what he's saying there? He says, if Joshua had given them full rest... Joshua wouldn't have talked about another day to come, but Joshua did. Joshua's eyes were open to see that this is not all there is. This promised land, this rest, is not all there is. There's something better to come. And what what the author of Hebrews says is there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What does that look like? He describes it in verse 10. For the one who has entered his rest, that is God's ultimate rest, has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Catch what's going on there? The the opposite of the gospel, the opposite of the good news of Jesus Christ is that you have to do a bunch of stuff to get to the rest. That you work, work, work. That you're good enough, you're smart enough, you're nice enough, you're uh, uh, benevolent enough. You, You do all of these things so that in the end you get a great reward. That's not the gospel. 
That's not the gospel. The gospel is you stop doing. Jesus has done all of the work. You simply trust in him and his work, and then you enter rest. And during that rest, you are diligent to follow him, but you're not working for your salvation. You're simply enjoying the rest that he has provided for you, right? And as you're enjoying that rest, you look forward to the ultimate rest that lies on the other side of your death or when Christ returns. This is beautiful, is it not? Because most people are preaching a gospel that is not a gospel of rest. It's a gospel of work. It's a gospel of do whatever it takes to please God. And you cannot do whatever it takes to please God. Jesus has done what it takes to please God, right? Jesus has done the work. He died on the cross. He suffered the wrath that you and I deserve. He has done the work and he gives us life as a gift. He gives us forgiveness as a gift, right? There is a wage for sin, which is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How? In Jesus Christ our Lord. When we think of Joshua and this whole scene of getting to the promised land, they're looking for rest. They're looking for this period after so much struggling and migration and war. They're looking to finally be serenely at home. And what I want to tell you is that you can be serenely at home today with Jesus. That you can stop your striving. That you can stop your working and simply trust in Him for your salvation. And you can rest in that. And while you're resting in Jesus... You diligently seek him. You diligently follow him. Notice that the author of Hebrews won't let it sit as just rest. He says, be diligent to see that you enter that rest. Be diligent to follow after Jesus and serve him with everything you've got. So we've learned several lessons today. One about unity, one about encouragement, and one about this beautiful picture of rest that Jesus offers by his blood. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you bring us together. God, we recognize before you today that we would not come together on our own. That we would not agree on our own. That we would fight and struggle forever if it weren't for you. And God, I pray that you help us to see that when we fight and struggle now, it's because of lack of focus on you. God, bring us together. Bring us together at the feet of Jesus with one heart, with one mission, with one vision to see you glorified and the gospel preached to the nations. God, we want, we need unity here. Help us to see that it's not a luxury, but a necessity. And God, I pray that you will develop at First Baptist truly an environment of encouragement where we are thinking always about spurring one another on to love and good deeds, about encouraging each other daily as we get together. God, forgive us when we avoid each other. Forgive us when we neglect assembling together. Forgive us when we're selfish. Help us to encourage. And God, mostly today, I thank you for rest. Thank you for the work that you have done. And we trust in that work, that Jesus has paid the price, that Jesus has accomplished the work so much that the author of Hebrews says he sat down. God, I pray that you will help us to trust, to rest in the work of Jesus. God, I recognize there are some here today 
that don't know about that rest, don't know about that forgiveness, don't know about that hope and eternal life, God, I pray that, that you open their eyes today to see that their striving, their working will always fall short. God, show them today that you have done it, that the work is accomplished and turn their hearts. My prayer is that you turn their hearts to trust fully, completely to rest in the work of Christ. And God, for those of us who are resting in the work of Christ, God, help us not to be lazy in that rest. Help us to be diligent to follow Jesus with everything, in everything. In Christ's name we pray, amen.